What's up, Repraise Your Family? We are back with another Bible study message for you. And as you all know, we are in a series reading through the book of Acts as a ministry. Week two message is again being delivered by Sean Pierce, who takes a look at the next two chapters in the book of Acts, chapters three and four. We truly hope and pray that this series has so far been a blessing to you and this message resonates with you and empowers you. We are um, jumping into this act season, going through it um, in a way of expository teaching. Basically, um, that word literally just means that we're going verse by verse, scripture by scripture, really going by what it means, dig digging into what the writer was saying in those scriptures, what um, he wants us to get out of that, but also taking the principles out of those scriptures to allow for us to understand how to apply that to our life and what that looks like for us. And so um, this is week two. So we're going to be journeying through uh, chapter three and four and the first 11 verses of chapter five as well um, for this week. And so before I do jump into this, I want to kind of go back over this as well. And so um, the book of Acts, right? The book of Acts is a narrative. So it is a story um, that is being told by Luke, right? By the same one that wrote the um, the gospel, Luke. Um, he's writing this and he's writing this as a letter to uh, Theophilus. And so um, this isn't taken when we read narratives, they aren't supposed to be taken as things that we gather doctrine from or we gather as being the end all be all uh, because it's just an individual recanting the story in which um, they want us to know based off of what happened. And so but we can take principles from what was said uh, to apply to our lives, especially in, in our theme as far as us becoming the church that God intended. And so we're going to dive into this. I want to jump right into it so we're not here long at all. And so chapter three, it opens up this way. So it says, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. Um, as they approached the temple, a man lame from birth, circle that, lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate. So he called so he could beg for the people go, from the people going into the temple. I want to stop there. So we got Peter and John going to church. They're going to prayer service. And as they're going to prayer service, remember this. Two a chapter ago. They were just filled, baptized in the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. They have all just went and through the power of the Holy Spirit, been speaking in an unknown language to them. And others came and heard and Peter gave his first sermon. And now 3000 have been saved. Now they are going a regular day to church, to a prayer meeting. On the way to this prayer meeting, there is a man that has been lame his whole life, that has been carried to the temple, not in the temple, but carried to the temple, to a gate that's called the beautiful gate, to beg. Now, when I read this, and this is actually one of my favorite like scriptures um, I know it's probably said a lot, but this is actually like one of my favorite scriptures for a couple of different reasons. But when I think about this, right, it's a man that's has that's been lame, meaning doesn't have activity in his limbs. He can't walk. He can't he can't get around by himself. That is being carried to what we say is a place for the sick. It's a place for us to come together. Um, for God to do miraculous things, for God to meet us there as a community, to fellowship, to hear the word, to worship. And this man is being carried to the gate, not inside the church, because in, in this culture, in some cases, people of his stature, people that are lame, people um, that have leprosy, aren't able to go into the temple. But it's very, very interesting to me that even if he can't go in, that they would bring him to this place so that he can beg other people that are coming to the temple for money. So this man is begging. He's coming to, to, to be dropped off to beg for what he needs. 
as he's begging, he's looking, he's trying to find who am I going to ask for some money? And he sees Peter and John. And he asked them for some money. And this is what it says. He says, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Now, look at what Peter replied. It says, Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. Which obviously, if this man has just asked you for money, he looked like he looked at you to ask you for this money. But when I was looking at this and reading a couple of different commentaries about this, um, a couple of them mentioned this as far as why they would say, look at us. So they say, look at us for the simple fact when beggars are trying to find out who's going to give them money. A lot of times they ask and, and they know who they're asking, but they're trying to find the next person they're going to ask. And so Peter says, look at, look at us, give me your full attention. And in my eyes, I'm thinking Peter going to give him, going to give him five dollars, Peter, and, and bless him, right? You're a believer, go and bless him. And Peter says these words. He says, uh, when the lame man looked at him, at them eagerly, expecting some money, but Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ and Nazareth, get up and walk. Okay, so the man's asked for money. Peter says, I don't have that. Don't have silver and gold. Don't have what you think you need. But this is what I do have. In the name that can heal you, get up and walk. Now, I want to point some things out for us in this, because what I, what I, what I think is really important as we're talking about becoming the church that God intended is this. This beggar has been begging different people days, days and days. What he thinks he needs is money. But Peter and John take this as an opportunity to give the man something that he really needs, that he's probably given up even asking or even thinking that can change. And so the first thing I wanted to ask us is we're talking about becoming the church that God intended, being God's hands and his feet in the world. Not just in the church, but in the world. Do we take the opportunity to give people what they really need? Because this is the thing. When people ask for stuff, I know for me, like, it's been time, even when me and Jordan were down here, we've seen somebody that was, that was, um, said they were homeless, right? Wanted money. I didn't have no cash. But just because you don't have any cash are you still trying to give them what they need? They could need prayer. They could need encouragement. They could need healing. Even if we read the Bible and we look at when Jesus did all the miraculous things that he did for people, most of the time, what he did first wasn't what they were intending on getting first. A person asks for something, and he says, yes, your sins are forgiven. Wait, I didn't ask for that. I asked if you can heal me. And my question for us is we're talking about becoming the church that God intended is this for all of us. It's an encouragement, but also it's a challenge. Do you look for the opportunity to give people what they need? Because Peter and, and John could have very well been like, bro, we ain't got no bread. We're going to go in here to this prayer service. But Peter says, no, I can't give you that, but I can give you this. And what I can give you is not really me giving it to you. It's something that I'm that I'm I'm saying to that I'm going to give to you, but it's coming from something that is a source that you really need. Because this is the thing. We don't even really know if this man was a believer. We just know that he was coming to sit outside the gate to beg. But in a little while, we're going to see from his acts that he he grabbed some type of faith as well from what happened to him when he was healed. Now, let's keep reading. It says, then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. I want to pause there as well, because this is the thing I want to challenge us all as believers as we're talking about becoming the church that God intended. The job is not done just when you pray. 
just when you say you're healed. Because again, Peter and John could have been like, in the name of Jesus, get up and could have just went on about their day. Like I had the faith to know you just, you healed and I'm finna go. But think about this man, This you just told this man to get up and he's never got up before on his own. He's never been able to do what you just said that he would be able to do based off of you putting Jesus name on it. And how many of us in the church as believers have, have given somebody something even if they needed it, but not really helping them up to really know that they were able to grasp what we gave them. For example, I know I'm guilty of this, right? So somebody called me for something. They're, they're asking me to pray for something. And I believe that when I'm about to pray for this, that you're going to receive it. And it could be something as simple as um, or, or not simple. I don't want to say that it could be something like them dealing with something like they're, they're dealing with something uh, spiritually and they, they don't know how to walk out of that something because they've been dealing with it. It's been beating them up. I pray for them. And I believe that when I pray, things are about to change, right? And faith, I believe that God is about to do a miracle, but do you take the time to walk them out of that? Like, do you take the time to give them steps, give them tips, give them the ability to understand how to walk out of whatever it is that you just said that they are delivered or they're, they're, they're whole from? Because what Peter shows us in this text is I'm not just going to tell you to get up and walk. I'm going to have, I'm going to actually help you get up and then I'm going to watch you walk. Because this is another thing that I really love about Jesus and his miracles. This miracle was worked in a way that should blow our minds when we read it. Because look what it says. It says, Peter helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, praising God, he went into the temple with them. Pause, hold up. How does a man that has never walked understand how to walk, but not just walk, understand how to leap? This just shows the power of Jesus and the miracles that he can do when we believe. When we walk in the authority and the power that is within us. That we believe that the same period, that the, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave is in us. When we walk with that authority, authority and we believe, we see some things that in the regular eye shouldn't happen. There's no way. Think about a think about a person that's in like a car accident or something, and they're and they lose for a little bit the activity to 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 be mobile, to walk, and all of that. Even when I had knee surgery, I had to learn how to continue how to get back to walking properly. My gait was messed up. But this man went from being lame for over 40 plus years, never walking his whole life. To now he's healed. He's strengthened. And the man automatically understands how to walk and leap. That blows my mind. They, did, they didn't take, no two weeks in physical therapy. Peter and John didn't say, okay, now left foot, right foot, left foot, now uh, heel, toe, lame man. No, he got up and instantly he was healed and strengthened and the man began to walk and leap and praise God. These are the miracles that, that Jesus wants to do through us, through the power of the Holy Spirit, if we believe. Now, let's see what happens after this. And so um, he jumped up, stood on his feet and began to walk, then walking, then leaping and praising God. He went into the temple with him. He went into a space that he usually probably couldn't go into with them. 
because he received what Jesus wants to do through his children when we believe. And now verse nine, says, all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. And when they realized he was the lame beggar that they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement uh, to Solomon's, uh, to Solomon's um, colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Verse 12, Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd again. I'm going to ask the question, do you take advantage of your opportunities? A miracle has happened. People are astonished. People are like, what is going on? People see you getting blessed. People see God answering your prayers. You post about it. People are like, oh my gosh. Whether you know they're believers or not, do you take the opportunity to make sure? Do you take the opportunity to be used by the Holy Spirit to share the news that we all say is good news? That we all say is the gospel that we should not be ashamed of because of the power that it had in our lives. Peter says, I'm going to take this opportunity. Now, I want to draw back a little bit. Something else that I want to mention here. Remember that in chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved. And they were, they were, they were talking. Peter was, Peter was preaching to a group. Something else that this text shows us when we open up in chapter three is the same energy I give 3,000 or more because it says 3,000 were saved. It doesn't mean that there was only 3,000 out there. It could have been five. But the same energy, the same passion, the same uh, uh, intensity, the same uh, uh, um, attention I give to a group, I give to one. He was preaching to a group, 3,000 came to Christ. He sees a lame man. He gives the same passion, the same faith, the same belief to that one man. That one man that God answers the prayer, heals him, strengthens him, allows him to walk, do things that he's never done before without any type of training, leads to an opportunity where now Peter and John are in a position that they were once in, now sharing to the masses. Sometimes we think it, it, we have to share to the masses to get to the next masses. But what if it's the one that you share with that gets you to the masses? What if it's the 13 that you share with that then takes you to, to the stage in which God showed you you would be on or the platform or the people or the room or the, or the job or the career, whatever it is. And so Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. Now, I want to I wanna also make sure we look at how he addresses them. Look how he addresses them. He says, people of Israel. So these have to be Jews. These have to be uh, the original people of Israel. He said, what is so surprising about this? Like, y'all should know about this. Y'all know the whole, y'all know the whole first five books of the Bible by heart. Y'all should know that this is the God that, that does this. He says, what are you surprised about? Why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power and godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. I want to pause and say something here, right? So Paul and John know that they played a part in this. They know that they partnered with the Holy Spirit to see this man healed and restored. But when you know, you don't have to announce it. You can give God all the glory and not have to prove or tell people your part in it. When you, when you have confidence in yourself, you have confidence that God has given. You don't always have to put what you did on it. You can literally just give the glory to God. Because I think this is an issue that we actually talked about a long time ago that some of us, I've done it before, right? We have either no humility, we have pride, we feel like we've done it all, like it was us, hard work, grind, or we have false humility. It was all God. I ain't did nothing. It was all him. He did it all. 
but we should have a balance in that because you did play a part because if, if Peter and John don't stop and say nothing, this man may not be healed. And they know who actually did the healing. They just had the faith to believe and they know who healed. And I want to address that because I think that it's just sometimes that we uh, um, fall on either side of the extreme and on either side of the extreme, usually there's error. If you're full of pride, it's error. But you, you, you're full of pride because you're like, no, nah, I did it. I, I did it. Yes, I did this. Or if you fall on the side of false humility, there's error. Because it's not really humility. You did play a part. But when you're confident in you and knowing what God has done in you, knowing how you partner with the Holy Spirit to do what God has allowed for you to see the fruit of, you're okay with saying, no, God did this. I can announce that. And I always don't have to tell you that I played a part. So Paul says, listen, why are y'all so surprised? Like, it what y'all think it was just us that was able to allow for this to happen, this miracle to happen? But also see how he how he speaks to these Jews. So I'm reading a book about preaching, um, and it's about communicating um, in the age of skepticism. And they they said something um, of, that I really really love that I want to share that I didn't even know that I was going to talk about till I read this this morning. And so when they're sharing the gospel, when we get these opportunities to share, notice what they did, how they approached the people that they were talking to. They didn't talk to them in a way that they couldn't understand. They talked to them in a way that they knew that they would be able to grasp the understanding of. And we actually see this all throughout the all throughout the Bible. Paul did this as well in the book of Acts. Later in the book of Acts, he did this as well to some people that he knew, knew some things that could correlate with his faith, but weren't a part of his faith. And the way he shared the gospel with them is not the same way that he would share the gospel with Jews. Or that 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 Peter would share the gospel with Jews. It's not that the gospel is is changing. The gospel's message is the same. But I'm not going to have the same wording. I'm not going to have the same tone. I'm not going to have the same uh, uh, um, way about going about articulating it to a person that I know is an atheist and I know um, um, has a fence up about every word that I'm probably going to say was when I'm saying blessed or or all these different things. And it's just, I think it's really uh, um, uh, important for us to, to accept that there is an art to sharing the gospel. And it may be a reason why we don't see a lot of people even wanting to accept it because of how we give it, because we want to give it like it's a, a one size fit all thing in the way of communicating it. When some people just don't get what you're saying because you're saying stuff that they don't even understand. Like, we even see this with the with the woman at the well, with Jesus. Jesus did not speak to her the same way he spoke to the Sadducees and Pharisees. He spoke to her in a way that he knew she would understand what he's saying that led her to go back and share the experience that she just had with Jesus to a whole group of people that thought they that they would never be able to have that relationship to be able to meet the Messiah that led to all of them coming to now sit with Jesus for days, meet with Jesus for days and spend time with him. Let's just think about that. So this is how Peter approached these Jews. He says what they understand. He says this, for it is the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob, they know that. They know who that God is from Moses, writing the first five books of the Bible. They know that information. Look what he says after this. He says, the God of all of our ancestors, mine and yours, who has brought glory to his servant, Jesus, by doing this. This is the same Jesus who you handled over and rejected before Pilate, despite, uh, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy, righteous one 
and instead demanded the release of a murder. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this fact. He says, listen, I want you to understand who this is based off of what you already know. I also want to want you to understand what you did, which we all did this. Like we all, like when, when you hear that we all pinned them to the cross. We were the ones throwing the rocks. We were the sinners. That's basically what he's sharing with them. Y'all are the ones that did this to him. This is reason y'all the reason why he died. He died for y'all. And then they give their personal testimony. And we've seen it. We experienced all of this. And then listen to what they say after this. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. So what y'all just seen from this lame man, that is a, that happened because of the one that I worship, that is my Lord, that should be y'all's once y'all realize what y'all did. That y'all were rejecting, that y'all were that y'all were killing the one that was actually coming to give you life, the one that was actually coming to save you. And then he says, um, and you know how crippled he was before. You've seen him come into the gate all the time. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Friends, I realize that you and your leaders did Jesus did to Jesus was was done in ignorance. Like you didn't even really understand. You didn't really get it. But God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer for these things. Now, this is the thing. He does all of this, right? He gives them what you understand. He tells them what they did. He also gives the testimony and also the miracle that just happened. So these people are having to think about all of this. Like, oh my gosh. Okay. Like, so he's talking about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We know who that is. We read about that. We know all of those scriptures. And he's telling us about the sin state that we have about what we did to that man. And we just seen that man heal this man. And then Peter gives them the answer to all this madness, what you should do. He says in verse 19, now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Verse 20, then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah, for he must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all the, of all the things as God promised long ago through the holy prophets. Moses said, they know this, the Lord your God will raise up from you a prophet like uh, like me from among your own people. Listen carefully to everything he tells you. Then Moses said, anyone who will not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from God's people. Starting with Samuel, every prophet spoke about uh, what is happening today. You are the children of those prophets and you are included in the covenant God promised to your ancestors. For God said to Abraham, through your descendants, all the families on the earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, Jesus, who Jesus, he sent him first to you, people of Israel, to bless you by turning each of you back from your sinful ways. I just want us to realize how Peter and John package this thing. It's the same gospel. Foundation is the same. It's the same gospel message, message, the good news. But the way he packages it is not the same way that it's packaged for other people without within uh, within this Bible. And I think that's so important for us to think about as we become the church that God intended, as we go out and share the good news, as we go out and communicate the gospel to different people, as we go out. It's not that it's a hard thing to do, but you do have to be, first of all, led by the spirit. You have to allow for him to fill you and, and allow for him to uh, um, give you the ability to walk in and throughout these conversations saying what you need to say to these people but you also have to realize that it's an art because you'll shut the holy spirit off if you feel like it's just the same thing for everybody you won't allow for him to speak so when he says to talk to this atheist different you're gonna reject it like nah they just need to get this gospel like they just need to get this message i'm gonna just give them to them you're a sinner you were born a sinner shaped in iniquity 
and Jesus died for you, accept him. Like, fam, they don't even know what iniquity means. So I just want us to think about how he packaged this for the people he was talking to. Same gospel, just a different package. All right, and so I want to move to chapter four. So chapter four, um, this is like a continuation. So this is what happened after they just did everything that they did. So while Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priest, the, the captain of the temple guard and some of the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees were, were, were basically men that were all about the, the traditions, all about the religion um, that they believed in. They were all about the tradition of it, how it should go. It should go just like this. That a lot of it wasn't congruent or it wasn't consistent with what they read from what Moses wrote in the five the first five books of, of the Bible. A lot of it was added, which we have to be careful because some things that we do out of tradition aren't bad, but they can become bad if we allow those that are just our preferences to equal God's truth. Your preference is just how you like it. I may like to run around the church and I'll be in the spirit doing it. Billy may just like to raise his hands. Jorian may like to get on his knees. That's your preference. We're all praising God. But behoove of me to think that running around my preference is at the same level as God's truth. That's dangerous. Because you're saying your words and how you like it is equal to what God said. One is truth, one is, one is opinion. It's just the way you like it. It's your preference. And so the Sashis come up to them, and these leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus, there's a resurrection of the dead. Now, I want you to pay attention to what they were actually mad about. They were mad because of what he was teaching. They didn't believe. They didn't believe that Jesus was resurrected. So they were mad that Peter and John were teaching this, that through Jesus, there's a resurrection of the dead. So they arrested them. And since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard the message believed it. So the number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000. So think about this. 3,000 or more, chapter 2. Nothing has changed. They have not become the celebrities. They haven't become these big people. Like they're, they're, they're not like, no. They just kept doing what Holy Spirit was leading them to do. And as they kept doing it, taking the opportunities to share the gospel, to share their testimony, to put it in a way that people understood, to give people the ability to be able to accept the free gift that Jesus gave gave to them just like he gave to us. And 2,000 or more were saved. Even though other people didn't like it. And those people that were saved were going to the same temple, listening to the Sadducees, listening to the priests, listening to what they were saying. And when they heard the gospel, that changed, they were saved. Now listen to what it says after that. The next day, the council and all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Ananias, the high priest, was there along with uh, Cephas, John, Alexander, and the other relatives of the high, the high priest. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, "What by what power or in whose name have you done this? Now, this is interesting that they framed this question in this, in this way. It's like the perfect scenario. And also, the way in which they frame this question leads me to also be able to believe if you ask in what power, that means that you believe that there's many. If you ask by what name, that means that you believe that there's some other names that we could be doing this in. And so he says, and what, by what power, in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, 
said to them, rulers and elders of our people. I'm not disrespecting y'all. Rulers and elders of y'all of our people. Are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the power, the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. The man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. Remember their issue. Their issue was you telling these people about the resurrection of Jesus. I want us to realize the boldness that Peter has in telling them the same thing that he just told everybody else. I know y'all high priests. I know y'all got this authority. But my question for us is this. Are we bold enough to confront, not argue, but con to confront and share the truth with people we know that have authority on the earth? Like they have authority in culture. Do we have the boldness to stand firm? And do you really want to know? Okay, well, let me tell you. It's Jesus. The one that y'all crucified, the one that you deny, that is the name that healed the man that was crippled. This takes a lot of boldness. Because if we read throughout the Bible, these men should have been killed. Because y'all disrupting our tradition, y'all disrupting how we go about things. But when you know how good the good news is and you are filled with the spirit, there's a boldness that you'll have, that we'll all have. And my prayer for all of us is that we don't reject this boldness because of fear. But we allow the Holy Spirit to give us this boldness to stand firm and share this news. And so listen, Peter says, uh, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead for Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says now again Peter is giving these people what they know allowing for them to realize like y'all even know this part here like I'm trying to help y'all understand by giving y'all some stuff that y'all actually know he says that uh, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone there is salvation in no one else God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness, not when they heard what he said, because they already knew what he said, but when they saw the boldness that could only come through the power of the Holy Spirit, they were amazed. People will be amazed when we walk in this boldness. So they were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. Look what they say after this. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. So they didn't know all that we knew in the way that we knew it as Sadducees. We know that they ain't got no seminary. They ain't went through the same rigorous training that we went through with Gamaliel. They didn't go through that. So they ain't got everything we got, but we are amazed. Why are they amazed though? Look what it says. They have no special training in the scriptures, but they also recognize them as men who have been with Jesus. Because there's a difference between having the knowledge and the education and having all the words from what you read in the scripture. There's a difference between that and people being able to see that you've been with Jesus. You may not know it all, but what you do know, you do it in a way that Jesus would have done it, which shows that you've been with him. You're a disciple of Jesus. You can know the truth, but you knowing the truth looks different when you don't know Jesus, when you haven't been with him. Because when you've been with him, you can know the truth and still give it in grace. You can still know the truth and give it in love. You can still love on people that you know are rejecting him. You can still treat people in a way that they should be treated, even if 
you don't know all that they know. So the thing that they recognized the most was, first of all, they don't got it like we got it in the knowledge of these scriptures. They don't know everything we know. We've been we've been through training. We've been through seminary. We didn't sit under all the, the, the great teachers. We've learned. But the thing that separates is these men been with Jesus. And my prayer for myself is that people would not see how much I know. But they'll see who I've been with. And people see who you've been with by the fruit that they see off your life. You know a tree by the fruit. So I challenge us all that we have that same heart posture. I want to know it too. Don't get me wrong. I want to understand these scriptures. I want to understand what Jesus meant, what these apostles meant through the power of the Holy Spirit so I can live my life based on principles that are truth. But most importantly, I don't want to know it all and people know that I ain't been with Jesus. I want to know it. And most importantly, I want them to know that I've been rolling with Jesus. I've been getting discipled by Jesus. My life has a fruit that matches the one I say I believe in. So I want to leave that right there. All right, and so let's move on. And so, um, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there, they seen the evidence of what they actually are saying that Jesus did this. There was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and confer, uh, conferred among themselves. What should we do with these men? They asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous, a miraculous sign and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading the propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus name again. Because when they can't, when they can't stop you from, when they can't, because it's the thing, they can't punish them because they know that everybody in Jerusalem has seen what then happened. So they can't deny what happened. They can't deny what Jesus is doing in your life and in my life. They can't deny the miraculous that is happening when we're walking in faith and we're believing. They can't deny the goodness of God that is, that is taking place within the communities that we are in. They can't deny the fruit that is coming off of our life because we've been with Jesus. They can't deny none of that. So if I can't deny it, what I'll try to do is I'll try to stop you from doing the thing in which has gotten the results of what I can't deny. So I try to stop you from sharing it because if I can stop you from sharing it, I won't have nothing that I, ha that I can't deny. And people won't be getting saved and people's lives won't be being changed if I can get you to stop saying it. And what I believe for myself, for all of us, is we have to be aware of when the devil, when, 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 when not just the devil, because we don't fight against people. So I don't want to say people, but, but demonic activity that could be you, that could be done within people, even good people to stop us from sharing the thing in which we know works which is the gospel we know that works which is jesus because if they can stop us from sharing it if they can stop us from being the church that god intended then they don't have to deny anything because there's nothing to deny nothing will be happening and so they can continue on doing what they want to do spreading their tradition and lives won't be changed what what or who is stopping you from sharing the good news? Because whatever that is, it's keeping you from being able to experience what Holy Spirit wants to do through you, through me, and from being able to see people's lives changed and culture being shut up. The Sadducees have to shut up. 
because they can't go against what they see. Because if they go against what they see, they look dumb to everybody in the culture because everybody in the culture can see it as well. The only way that we won't see it is if we are quiet, if we won't share the news we say we know that saved our lives. So this is what it says. It says, so they called the apostles back in and commanded them, never speak or teach in the name of Jesus, which lets me know that they know what works, that name. Even if they don't want to accept it right now, they know that's the name that works. Even if their heart is hardened toward allowing for that name, for Jesus to be their Lord, they know that name works. And I want us to be aware that even if we see that people don't accept, they know what name works because you can see it by even atheists, even people that don't believe in God, let them get into a bad situation. What's the first name that's called? So they know the name, they know what name works. But when my heart is hardened towards that name, I'll just try to get that name to be stopped that nobody else hears that name. So I could keep doing my irreligious activity, keep living out the traditions that I want to live out. So they tell him, hey, listen, you need to stop. And this is, listen to what they said. This is, again, boldness. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. And may that be the words that we utter. We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and we have heard. I know you want me to stop. I know you would rather me be quiet. I know you would rather me just, just go about my life and live my good life and do the good things. I know you would rather me just go to church and just serve on Sunday. I know you would rather me just pay my tithes and be quiet. I know you would rather me just work on my life and work on my saint, my uh, sanctification and work out my soul salvation. I know that's what you would rather me do. I'm going to do that. And also, I will not stop telling about everything that I've seen and I've heard because it's what I've seen and what I've heard that has caused for 5,000 plus within these last two chapters to come to the God that I believe in. So I won't stop. Then the council threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot for everyone was praising God for the miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been laying for more than 40 years. So it says, as soon as they were free, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and the elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. Let's pause. They go back, tell them the, the victory that happened. They tell them, how they were being persecuted, how people were coming against them, sharing the good news, talking about Jesus. Listen to what they did. And one thing that we've looked at throughout these last three, uh, uh, three chapters or four chapters now is unity and prayer was all without all throughout those four chapters. They go from a victory to being, you know, persecuted people coming against them. And the first thing they do when they come back is they unite and pray. Listen to what they said. They said, Oh, sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. You spoke long ago by the Holy spirit through our ancestor, David, your servant saying, why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against the Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this city. For Herod, Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. 
but everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O oh Lord, hear their threats and give us their give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power and um and may miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Then the preaching of the word of God with, then they preached the word of God with boldness. I want to point out a few things here uh, and then we're going to wrap up with these 11 verses. All right. And so one unity and prayer are essential to the body. If we go to first Corinthians, it talks about how the Holy spirit um, um, functions in unity. He's effective in unity. Disunity is not where the Holy spirit thrive. He wants to thrive in. So unity is important to the body. Could it be that they seen what they seen because they were united? And unity and uniformity are two different things. We all don't have to dance alike, but we all need to be dancing about the same God. We all need to be united about the same foundation about Jesus. It don't, it don't all have to look the same though. And prayer and then look at what they prayed about and in your own time i want you to go back and look at the lord's prayer and then match the the the, the pattern in the lord's prayer with how they prayed same pattern acknowledgement same pattern all right i want you to do that in your own time though now what they prayed for they just went through cruel punishment like People treating them bad because they were doing good things, being threatened. And when they come back to pray, what they prayed for was not that that would stop. Not that the hard, the hardness, the things that they were going through would stop. Their prayer was boldness. Why wouldn't they pray that it would stop? Maybe because they knew, and we know that Jesus says in this life, you will have trouble. Also, they probably knew that Jesus said they persecuted me and they're going to do you the same. So there's no reason for us to pray for it to stop. Because if we say we want to believe, be believers in Jesus Christ, then we have to know that that comes with it. But what we can pray is, is that we receive the boldness through the Holy Spirit to still be able to walk, talk, live out what God intended for us for the glory of God, for the betterment of the kingdom, and for us to experience the life that he called us to live. They prayed for boldness. When they prayed for boldness, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So last week I talked about the difference between being baptized and being filled. They were already baptized. These are the same ones that were uh, in chapter two on the day of Pentecost when they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. But I encourage us all to continue to be to be prayerful about asking God to refill us with the Holy Spirit, to give us the awareness of the power the Holy Spirit wants to do through us, through boldness and showing and sharing the gospel, through boldness and walking in our calling and purpose through being who he's called us to be, to have the fruit of the spirit and to walk it out, All right? And then we talked about this last week, so I'm not going to share a lot of uh, on this. Verse 32 through 37 is another portion of Luke giving us two qualities that the church had. Number one, they understood that they were not owners, but they were stewarders. It says that they went about selling everything that they had because they, they understood that I'm not an owner over all of this. Like I have it in my possession, but I'm just a steward. God owns this. And how much better would our communities be if we all understood that we're just stewards, just managers. And when you're a manager, you don't have to hold on to things like you would 
if you owned it because you know you don't make all you don't have the, the highest decision. You're just a stewarder. And so they were willing to sell all their things to make sure that everybody in the community had all they need. They needed. So they knew they were stewards. And the other thing is they were generous. They had a generous heart. They were willing to give it, wanted to give it. All right. And then um, chapter five, one through 11. I want you to read that on your own. I'm going to paraphrase it though. You have two people, a married couple, Ananias and Sapphira, that have just seen a man named Barnabas sell all of his land and give it all based off of his decision of wanting to be generous. They don't even have to do what we're about to talk about, but they decided to do it. They go and tell that they're going to sell all of their stuff and give it all. They go home and get the talking line, man. They sit at the dinner table, probably like, man, I don't know if we should give it all now. That's a lot that we give it. And they go and lie. They sell it, keep half, keep a portion, and they go and tell Peter that they're giving it all. Which is a lie. Look at what Peter says. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife consent, he kept the rest. Then, So they agreed on it. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? He's a believer. He's with them. He's in the community. Why have you let Satan? Why have you allowed demonic activity to influence you to make a decision that you didn't even have to make? You could have just kept all your stuff and never sold it. Like we weren't pressuring you into selling anything. But you allowed demonic activity to influence you to come and lie about something you didn't have to lie about. The property was yours to sell or not to sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give. How could you do a thing like this? This is the thing. You weren't lying to us. You were lying to God. And as soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. His wife comes back later and she does the same thing. She dies. The last thing I want to say and wrap this up here is this. What happened when all of this happened? When all of this happened, a great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened thing I want to leave us with is this. This is why the fear of God is so important. Because the fear of God says that we're fearful of being apart from a holy God. You won't be apart from a holy God if you walk close to him. And the only way we can walk close to him and be intentional with him and have the intimacy is we don't make these decisions of lying because this is the thing that we have to realize. We serve a gracious, a holy, a righteous God. And I read this and, and I was reading about it and it was like hitting me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, listen, God is so gracious and merciful, but he and he's just as well. And he doesn't have to allow for us to make it too repentant. He could just give us the, 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 um, the decision that he gave Ananias and Sapphira, all they, they, they lied. That's it. They lied about what they were doing and they died. How much are we taking advantage of grace and mercy when he could, he could just be just. That was a hard, it was, it was a tough one for me, but I feel like that we have to think about it. We serve a loving, a gracious, a merciful God. Holy God. He's also just though. And the way in which we keep ourselves, not saying we're going to be perfect, but the way in which we keep ourselves from living lives that uh, will put us in these positions where we really could get what we deserve is by having a healthy fear of him. Because Exodus tells us, 
a healthy fear keeps you from sinning. And so I want to wrap us up there and leave us with this final uh, point that really captures the whole book of Acts to me. It's a statement I'm going to continue to read every time I, I every time I teach from the book of Acts this, this next month and a half. Because of the finished work of Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit, we as believers have everything we need to be effective in being and doing all God called us to do for his kingdom. The question is, what will be our response?